You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another fun episode of Ask Drone You. In this week's news episode, we've got a lot coming to you from around the world. How DJI is stepping up the fight against remote ID, how DJI drones are even helping the coronavirus and helping stop the outbreak around the world, and so much more. There's a lot of exciting news this week, and we are grateful that you are joining us for another news episode. Joining me as always today is our good friend, the Flying Dutchman, also known as the head of Drone DJ. Hiya, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Paul. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Doing great. As the stock market is down, my shorts are sky high, so it is a great day. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, that's not a bad thing then, I guess. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be on the show as always. I mean, the weather here in New York is crappy for flying drones. It's been windy and rainy, even with some uh, wet snow today. So it's uh, it's far from ideal. Uh, of course, here in the uh, the office environment, it's nice and warm. But uh, yeah, happy to be on the show. And uh, let's get going with all these articles that we got this week. Yeah, super excited, actually, because there's a it's it's nice. You know, you and I have really been fighting against remote ID for a long time. We've been illustrating how a pilot will transform from now until after remote ID if it goes through as proposed. And many people have argued that these industry-killing regulations will end many drone jobs as we see it. And we've seen almost 29,000 comments now on the remote ID NPRM, and that number may just be getting started as DJI has found a way to engage and interact pilots all over the world to comment on Remote ID. What's going on here, Haya? Yeah, it's a very smart move. I mean, of course, uh, as you and I know, um, getting the message out and reaching a large audience is no easy task to uh, to do, basically. I mean, we have the Drone News Show. I mean, we reach a, a fair number of people there, of course, with your articles, the articles on Drone DJ as well. But I mean, with so many hobbyist drone pilots that may not fly very frequently, it's hard to reach all those people. And I think what DJI has done this week was super clever. If you open up the DJI Go For Fly app, you see this message come up? And it tells you, alert concerning new government regulations. A new FAA drone rule could cost you money and restrict how you fly. Click below to learn more about what you can do. And that brings you directly to the tips uh, and the guide that DJI has put together uh, to help people first explain what the consequences are of remote ID for drones, uh, the rule proposed by the FAA. And secondly, how you can comment. And basically, uh, when we talk about commenting, uh, you and I have said that DJI pointed out as well, is make your stories personal. Make them personal, point out the issues that you have with the proposed rules, and then also point to solutions. So don't just say to the FAA what's wrong with their ideas and their, and their proposal, but also help them find better solutions. And I think uh, what DJI has done here, I mean, 
They have a market share of well over 70%. Uh, most of the hobbyist drone pilots probably have a DJI drone. So to get this message right in the app that you use to fly your drone uh, is, is a very smart way to reach a large, large audience. So um, I wish they would have done this sooner, but um, yeah, I applaud them for that for sure. I applaud them as well. I know that not all recreational pilots will like uh, the DJI guide, as, as some have said this doesn't really take care of recreational pilots in a way that makes everyone happy. Um, now, that being said, again, I just want to reiterate what you said. Ladies and gentlemen, go out there. If you haven't commented, you've got to comment. And, you know, we wrote a guide as well. You can download it at DroneAdvocacyKit.com. And, in fact, Haya and I are going to be throwing a little comment party on yeah. March 2nd, the last day that you can comment at 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. Haya and I are going to sit down for some drinks, and we're going to comment on the NPRM, and we hope that you'll join us as well. You can check it out on our YouTube page. If you subscribe to us on YouTube, then you will get the notification automatically as we plan on live streaming to YouTube. Do we, uh, do we drink first and then comment, or do we comment and drink after, Paul? I mean, uh... I don't think this is a mutually exclusive thing here, Haya. I think they can go in parallel. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm really excited about that, and I'm hoping that we can get the comments from, you know, 30,000 comments to maybe 50,000 comments. And I'm hoping that that will really, really make an impact. And you know, Haya, I think it's important as Remote ID is coming to a close, or at least as the proposal period, to comment comes to a close. It's really, really, really important to just push to everyone. The last final fourth quarter push, we have got to, got to, got to make a difference. And the more comments that we can submit, the better. So I hope everyone uh, does join us for that uh, on Monday. And again, I think it'll be something that not only will uh, will, I think we'll write a great comment, but I also think it'll be extremely entertaining as well. So I fully agree. And I, uh, I think it's good that you pointed out. I mean, uh, you guys released a, a commenting guide as well. Uh, of course the, the pop-up message brings you to DJI's guide. There are plenty more guides from different organizations. So don't just use one, read two or three, and then you'll have more than enough information on the things that uh, are going to basically restrict your hobby and your business and make it more costly to fly drones. And it's also going to guide you as, as to uh, how you should submit your comments. Uh, March 2nd is the deadline. So make sure you get your comments in either before or on March 2nd. Uh, after that, it's a uh, at least for the online commenting, it's a, it's a shutdown. So uh, make sure you get your comments in on time. And yeah, I hope we uh, we can bring this now. I mean, 29,000 comments is, is already a big number. I think it's going to take the FAA quite some time to read all those uh, replies. But I hope to see that number go up closer to 50 as well. Yeah, I hope it goes up to 50 as well. And like you said, the more comments, the better, because it could actually uh, help delay uh, the implementation of remote ID. So like, I think you made a, a really great point just to reiterate, I think people really should read as many guides as possible mm. because it really does help. Yep. There, there are so many different, um, uh, responses to remote ID and, and there are different responses for different people. And again, I'll just reiterate, you know, here at DroneU, we're not cool with cellularly connected drones. We're not okay with, uh, the public having access to pilot information. We actually yeah. see those as two fundamental legal problems. And in fact, I'm not really sure how the FAA is going to enforce those under a civil regulatory uh, rule-based system, frankly. But we're, it's going to be really interesting to see 
what happens. And in fact, I would actually say in our next piece of drone news this week, it looks like the FAA is actually starting to quite understand just how important it is to have the drone community at the table. Because this morning, the FAA is having their drone advisory committee meeting. And Haya, I know you saw this as well, but what was one of the major bullet points in the very beginning of the meeting? Oh, one of the things that were pointed out um, by Michael Chase, the chairman, he's from Precision Hawk Drone Company, uh, is that in the committee, they have empty seats uh, that need to be filled. But uh, even more importantly, there are no hobbyist drone pilots or Part 107 commercial drone operators represented on the committee itself. So he made it a point to say, hey, uh, we're going to open this up to to groups that are underrepresented. Uh, Brendan Schumann didn't wait much longer either. He kind of jumped on that as well and said, hey, that's true. We don't have any uh, good representation from, from the majority of drone pilots really in the United States. So I think that's one of the biggest points that I got out of uh, watching the uh, the DAC committee live this morning online is that we need representation from drone hobbyist pilots as well as from small commercial drone operators. Uh, other than that, uh, there was a lot of talk, of course, about remote ID, uh, beyond visual line of sight operations. Uh, but also they were talking, uh, Dave Messina had an entire presentation about uh, the grid itself and how sometimes closer to airports, there are areas where the current grid setup doesn't allow you to fly. But if you look more closely at the situation, there are spots where you would be able to fly drones. So one of the things that uh, this task force suggested doing is making the grid even smaller by cutting uh, the grids basically in half. And then per quadrant, now you would have four smaller quadrants to fine tune those areas. Um, the deck committee is open to the public. Of course, uh, a lot of people won't be able to make it there. It's in Washington, D.C. So if you can't physically be present, then uh, for sure watch it online. Uh, that's the way to go. It takes a while. It's from 9 a.m. in the morning until 4 p.m. later today. So it's um, it's a long session for sure. But then again, if you want to stay abreast of the uh, latest developments in the drone industry, then this is one you got to watch. Yeah, um, I will say, uh, you know, the drone industry has really seen the consequences of not having representation on this drone advisory committee. And like you said, there are 30 seats there and they are full of cellular companies. They are full of military uh, contractors and they're full of manned aviation pilots. And I am so excited that I think that these old Beltway bandits are about to get slapped in the face by the community because the community has finally learned, it's finally come to fruition. These people are not representing the interests of the community. And in fact, they are fighting against them avidly at every single meeting. So while the credibility of the FAA and this particular community wanes, it seems like the FAA's only option to regain that credibility is by, well, representing people who actually fly drones. And you know, Haya, it's really interesting. I have a challenge for everyone out there. Do you want to know who really flies drones on that committee? Well, just go to the FAA pilot registry and look up everyone's name. Maybe we should do that. It was funny because in the comments, uh, so you have a social uh, team from the FAA that basically is uh, providing the live feed and also uh, interacting with people that are watching online. 
And at one point on Facebook, they commented and they said, uh, if you guys have any questions for the deck committee, then you feel free to leave a comment. And like within five minutes, I think there were like six or seven people who said, who of these guys actually flies a drone? Who has their part 107? And I chipped in as well, said, let everybody raise their hands. So I haven't watched since we started the show, but I'm, I'm curious to see who actually flies drones either for a living or for a hobby that is part of that uh, deck committee. Well, let's go ahead. Hold on. I'm just, I'm pulling this up right now and I want to see, uh, let's see who's on the committee. No, it's not that. Well, what I'm going to do, Hayez, I think we should actually do a little show on this. I think so too. I mean, there's a list of all the members. I think they have 35 seats. I have the list of all the, uh, the members right here in front of me. So yeah, we should just go through the database and find out who has a part 107. I could not agree more. Yeah. I've never been so excited to reveal someone's inability to fly drones before because it's hurting all of us. But anyway, moving yeah. on to the next story. The country of Japan has a very different way of doing business. And they also have one of the lowest crime rates in the whole world as the value of life is extremely high in Japan. And as that value of life is extremely important, they understand the practical applications of drones outside, well, and inside. Haya, what's going on in Tokyo underground with drones? Yeah, in Tokyo, like in, in many other big international cities, uh, you have a vast uh, network of subway tunnels. I think in Tokyo, it's about 200 kilometers, which what would be well over 100 miles, 120 miles worth of uh, subway tunnels. And uh, similar to buildings that need to be inspected, subway tunnels need to be inspected as well. And traditionally, there are two means of doing it. It's either you put up scaffolding or you send in heavy equipment. So basically, uh, I imagine with like a cherry picker kind of system, have engineers and technicians uh, check out these tunnels and inspect them. Of course, there's a much more affordable, faster, cheaper way to doing this, and that will be using a drone. Now, if you remember, we've seen flyability drones um, at different drone events throughout the year and uh, previous year as well. They have these drones that are fully encapsulated by, uh, it's almost like a, yeah, they're like almost inside a ball, basically a, a maze, and they fly inside, so they can kind of bounce off ceilings and walls, and they can fly independently through these tunnels and won't get stuck, uh, most likely at least. So in Tokyo, they've been using now these flyability Ilios 2 drones to inspect these tunnels. Uh, they just started their first testing about a week ago, and so far the results have been very impressive, and they are uh, suggesting to move forward and inspect the remainder of all the tunnels with drones as well. So we've seen similar things happening in uh, in New York City, if you remember from a previous show. In New York, all the high-rise buildings need to be inspected every five years. So the facades, uh, the front of the building and the side and the back, of course. If the building deteriorates, parts of the facade can come down. People have been hurt and actually um, more recently somebody actually died by a, a piece of building that fell down. And there as well, there's a big push now for people to start using drones to inspect these buildings rather than putting up scaffolding and doing it all manually. Uh, there are so many examples where drones can uh, save time and money and also do the work much faster and safer than human beings could do. So yeah, that's uh, it's important to point out, and especially with all the regulation restricting drones and the use of drones, it's important to point out how drones can benefit society as well, I think. Yeah, uh, in fact, let's run with that, Haya. With Remote ID going on, 
Do you think that the FAA is going to, and well, really the American government as a whole, do you think that they are going to realize how powerful drones could be in fighting the outbreak for the coronavirus by delivering food, by delivering supplies, by even helping assist doctors reach patients without human touch? Yeah, the same thing. There's so many cases where drones can be beneficial. Uh, we've had a number of articles uh, already on how drones uh, have been used in in China to fight the coronavirus. I mean, they're using the DJI uh, Agras T16, which is that massive monster drone that's used for agricultural purposes. They use it to spray disinfectants in areas where they suspect the virus might be. So that's one example. Uh, food delivery, as you pointed out, uh, is another example where drones have been used. There's even uh, talk of drones being used to identify people with a raised body temperature to see who might be infected if you have a drone flying over a crowd of people. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that you should take into consideration when you're thinking about those kind of ideas. I mean, if somebody runs up a flight of stairs out of a subway tunnel and just comes up, his body temperature might be elevated as well. It might not have anything to do with a coronavirus. But nonetheless, drones are very effective. Uh, in this case, even more so because the drone can't really be, well, I guess the, the virus could stick on it, but the drone won't be affected like a human being would be. So drones can do a lot of the work faster and safer than we human beings can do. There's just so much power in, in how drones are shaping the world ahead of us. And there's so much power in how yep. they can provide a reliable defense against some of the world's most pressing threats and problems. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to talk a little bit more about the uh, DJI uh, Agras T16, actually in the Guggenheim Museum in New York. So for listeners or viewers that are living in the New York area, in the Guggenheim, there is a exhibition called The Countryside, The Future Explores Digital Impact on the Physical World. So meaning using digital tools and technical tools to basically um, bring improvements uh, to those areas. They have one of those uh, DJI agricultural drones on display. So if you're in New York and you want to go to the museum and you want to check out uh, probably one of the biggest drones you've seen, then uh, yeah, this is the place to go, the Guggenheim. Wow. Wow. Now I think that's really cool. Super cool. In fact, um, let's continue on with the coronavirus and drones, Haya, because in this next piece of news that is uh, one of the few articles that I wrote, and um, typically for everyone out there, Haya probably writes 99% of the articles that we go through here on the show. I mean, he has his finger on the pulse. And every once in a while, I get, a, I get an opportunity to chime in, and, and this is just one more opportunity. And I really tried to lay out what we just talked about, Haya, which is how drones can help in coronavirus in so many different ways than people are really noting, but also really showcase the math. In a recent study from the European Union, we found that 40 million Europeans could directly benefit from drone delivery right now. And if we had access to those 40 million uh, European consumers, could we effectively crush the spread and the transmission of the coronavirus with this massive drone delivery system at scale. I mean, we take test kit delivery from maybe 500 per day to in the millions per day. And frankly, it's one thing that I hope that the FAA and everyone as a whole will begin to understand how drones are going to save lives in this world 
and why they are just as important as some of our most basic tools in really supporting the human civilization. Oh, one more tying into the coronavirus. Uh, so they've been using the DJI Mavic 2 Enterprise Jewel, which is the, the drone with the thermal camera as well as the regular camera, uh, to, to scan crowds and to see for people with elevated body temperatures. Now, one of the things apparently is that uh, the range of, of temperatures that a thermal camera can, can read is actually quite large. And to make it more accurate, what, they, what engineers uh, at DJI figured out is that if you take a, a Q-tip, basically, with a little piece of cotton at the end and you stick it, right over the camera, so it's in view of the thermal camera, the results of the thermal camera become a lot more accurate. And it was funny, we picked up on this news uh, yesterday, I think we wrote this article. The explanation as to why this works that way wasn't given in the original post. And since we're not thermal uh, camera engineers either, we weren't quite sure why that, that little cotton piece that comes into view made such a big difference. Uh, however, there's somebody in the comments who said that what the camera does is called auto range scaling. And just like how a voltmeter is less accurate in the thousand fold range than a 10 fold range, thermal cameras are less accurate in ranges that allow higher temperatures. By keeping a cool object in the frame at all times, it ensures the camera stays in the lower, more accurate range. So basically, rather than having the whole range of temperature settings, you kind of bring it down to a, a smaller range and therefore make the camera more uh, accurate. I thought it was uh, very interesting because you have drones, which you can say are pretty advanced, high-tech pieces of equipment. Uh, and then you have something as simple as a Q-tip that makes such a high-tech device even more accurate than it already is. So we covered that story on Drone, New, uh, on Drone DJ, and I think, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting to read. Wow. Yeah, that is, uh, that is really interesting. It's interesting yeah. how, too, a little hack like that would make the camera so much more useful. Yeah, it's crazy, but you wouldn't think of it, right? I mean, you have to, I guess, really understand how it operates in order to figure out how you can actually hack it and make it perform even better. Yeah, very curious. So that makes me wonder, are you seeing the Autel Evo 2 thermal hitting the markets yet? Because that sensor was supposed to be a 640p or almost yeah. four times the size of the Mavic 2 Enterprise Dual, yet is the coronavirus now affecting the supply lines and really, you know, really delaying the implementation of all those new drones that we just saw at CES? Because, yeah. Haya, I should have been a hustler like you and forced everyone to just give me drones right there. But because I was headed to Hawaii, I realized if these guys don't want to give us one, to do a review, well, then it's not worth our time. And now these supply lines have cut like three of our six orders. And I'm just wondering, what effect are you seeing out there? Yeah, well, we know that DJI had closed uh, down their offices as well as some other drone manufacturers. When we spoke to Auto Robotics at CES, they said that they already were under immense time pressure to get that booth set up and to have enough drone models on display. The first one that would come to the United States would be the 8K model. And then the 6K with the larger sensor would come six to eight weeks later. And mind you, this was before the whole Corona outbreak. So the Corona wasn't even factored into uh, these predictions. 
And then the one with the thermal camera was going to be a lot more expensive because I think the thermal sensor itself is like four, four and a half thousand bucks. So on top of that, you have to add the drone still. That one would come to the US even six to eight weeks after the 6K version. So if you factor in Corona, let's say Corona at least delayed everything by two weeks, probably more like a month, I would say, than what we're looking mid spring, late spring, early summer, the earliest, I guess, before those hotel drones are going to hit the market in the US. At least that would be my prediction. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> And the, the Autel Evo 2, the 8K that you and I flew in Vegas, I only had that for less than a week before I had to ship it back to them. So I only had uh, a few days to, to play around with that one and to fly that drone. Uh, actually, it was, was quite amazing. We have a review coming out shortly. But yeah, the other models are going to be delayed for sure. Well, it's rather unfortunate, but maybe it'll give Autel a chance to really consider um, adding a sensor devoid flight mode like attitude mode to make their drones truly safe. But, well, it's really interesting, Haya, and uh, it's amazing how much the coronavirus is really affecting everything. I mean, it, it really is. And that brings us into our next story. You know, as the coronavirus has really perpetuated drones as a useful tool for good, even in disinfecting areas, it seems like certain states in the United in the United States are really not okay with drones, well, flying around, spraying, or even doing pollution monitoring. What's going on here, Haya? Yeah, this takes us uh, south to Alabama. Uh, earlier this week, there were two bills that were going to be proposed. Uh, one is called the HB 36 by Representative Brown, and the other one is HB 45 by Senator Ward. Uh, I'm no legal expert. I mean, these two bills, I think, are identical to the sentence and letter, basically. Uh, I think they're just copies of each other uh, submitted by two different people. Uh, however, uh, the bill basically wants to make uh, drone flying around sensitive areas illegal. And they've done two things. One is they added drones specifically to uh, to what is not allowed in those sensitive areas. But secondly, they added a pipeline as a structure that would also be a uh, considered a sensitive area. So before you were able to do it, now pipelines are off limits as well. And the person who pointed this out made the connection to uh, environmentalists and uh, basically people who would monitor pollution for whom flying drones over long stretches of pipeline would be a very fact effective and fast way to monitor for pollution that, for instance, that would no longer be allowed. Other people started commenting about, hey, but this might also be spying for China or whoever. So... Uh, I don't know if these bills have passed yet, but uh, we've seen similar things. I've also heard from other people that in Tennessee, a state not too far from Alabama, something similar happened as well. You see that people from different angles are trying to restrict the use of drones and where you can fly them and where you cannot fly them. And this is the latest initiative that we've seen. Uh, I hope it won't pass, but uh, we'll have to follow up on that. Yeah, very interesting because, again, uh, state authorities, and we need to have a particular individual on our show here soon, because Michigan tried to fight the federal preemption, just yeah. like Newtown, Massachusetts, um, and they just got the smackdown. So I'm hoping that Alabama gets the same smackdown when they learn that they cannot regulate the airspace at all. Now they can you know, limit and inhibit takeoff and landing from their land, but airspace is something that local governments really need to know that it's not something that they can regulate. And you know what, hi, it's really, it's, 
it's really interesting to me because growing up, I always had a lot of respect for our leaders in, in politics, thinking mm-hmm. that they knew the, the, the best thing to do, that they took time to research things and come up with objective solutions based on rationale and logic. But in the drone industry, I have learned that that is actually rare, if not an outright outlier, and that most of these local leaders and even regional leaders do not spend the time researching stuff and most of the time don't even know what they can and can't regulate. And it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it takes people who live the drone life, I guess, who know the drones, the equipments, uh, how and where you fly them, uh, the rules as well. I mean, it takes time to become a knowledgeable and experienced expert. And I think if you're a politician as well, then your time is limited uh, already. So to be good at both, I mean, good at making and, and setting the rules, but also actually knowing the topic that those rules uh, have an impact on is, is not easy. And uh, for instance, the deck committee that's taking place today is another great example where you have all these members on board and you wonder how many of those guys actually fly drones themselves so um yeah and a lot of rules are either coming from the faa but as you pointed out uh, local and uh, and state governments uh, do the same thing they come up with their own ideas and their own rules uh, that impact our hobby and our business well it's also really hard to understand what uh, an actual safe regulation is or what uh what safety really looks like because Oftentimes you learn through practical experiences that theoretically safe ideological standpoints oftentimes are actually not safe if you understand real world drone flight missions because of how these aircraft operate. That's also why it proves the point that I was just talking with this about someone in high up in a government agency yesterday And we were talking all about how we're sick and tired of hearing if people have military experience and manned aircraft experience and then demand respect in the drone world. And, you know, there it's we've taken enough time and we've had enough people to know that it does not matter if you had military experience. It does not matter if you had manned aviation experience. Unless you have practical, real-world flying experience, the decisions that you make will only have so much effect. And the drone industry has learned that. Just look at the deck. Yeah, well, going back to the deck, there was uh, a gentleman on the deck this morning, and I believe he was from uh, an airport facility, who pointed out that uh, one thing that we had to keep in mind are the flyaways as well. And uh, as you know, of course, having trained so many drone pilots, I mean, if a drone flies away because of uh, GPS confusion or disconnection, basically, you switch into Eddy mode and you fly the drone manually. I mean, how many how many people know that? How many people practice flying in Eddy mode? How many drones can you easily get into Eddy modes? And those are all things that have an impact on how safely you can fly drones. I mean, I think it was last year where in uh, San Francisco, somebody was trying to inspect the uh, what is it, the Salesforce tower? Is that a big tower yeah. where it's leaning over an angle? Yeah, he was trying to fly a drone there, and because of the GPS interference and or the not having a good connection, the drone got confused and flew away and smashed right into another building, came crashing down, almost hit pedestrians that were walking down uh, below. So having knowledge of how equipment works and, and knowing the safety features and how to access them quickly is definitely important. And I think that also uh, brings us basically to our next article about illegal drone flights at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and the number of drones that crash at the bridge. 
Yeah, it's actually fascinating. If you notice the language on that sign that they talk about, you cannot take off land or operate from that yeah. land. Yet, you know, you could take off from a boat all day long and go fly around there. I think the issue, Haya, is again a lack of education because I know that there are drones hitting. Uh, you know, buildings by Salesforce Tower. I know there are drones hitting the bridge. And the reason that they are hitting the bridge and the building is the exact same. It's that, yep. it's that multi-path interference. It can also be magnetic interference. And what people don't know, in fact, I had to educate uh, a local police force here almost seven years ago because they did the same thing. But when you have the GPS signal bouncing off the tall buildings, the drone is going to move in the direction of the error. So if the error is bouncing off the buildings, it's going to draw the drone into the building. And unless, like you said, you can take over manual control and know what you're doing, yeah, you're going to have a flyaway. So, you know, this is really funny because we've been talking with uh, Bill English from the NTSB about this. And we're noticing the attitude mode, which is supposed to be sensor devoid, is not sensor devoid on certain aircraft, which means they're not truly safe. So yeah. another question that drone manufacturers have to ask them, like Autel, is are your drones going to meet the requirements to get waivers? Because if you don't have a way to take over control, sensor devoid, and have full control to avoid an emergency, I don't see how that drone is really commercially viable. Well, and it's, uh, I think in that sense, the Golden Gate is like the perfect storm, right? I mean, you have different drone operators. I mean, you have people who fly professionally, have a fleet of drones, use different equipments and know all the ins and outs and all the rules and regulations. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have tourists who might have just picked up a DJI Mavic Mini, don't know anything about flying drones and the rules, and they may just end up at the Golden Gate and think, hey, <laughs> instead of taking a picture from the edge, let's just fire up our drone, send it in the air and get some really cool shots of this amazing bridge. And I think a lot of times when when you have these kind of incidents it might also have to do with a, a less experienced drone pilot basically and when you talk about drones like the DJI Mavic Mini, there is no easily accessible eddy switch that you can just pull and fly the drone manually so um, in that sense the Golden Gate is the perfect storm uh, there have been I think six or seven crashes some of them the drones actually crashed down and fell onto the roadway below where you have traffic uh, of course you're not allowed to fly over moving traffic anyway uh, but of course there have been cases where drones uh, hit the roadway down below uh, and you can imagine if it hits a car and somebody panics and, and and it spooks them they might hit other cars and then you might have some serious accidents there so flying the drone at the golden gate bridge you really have to know what you're doing the parks around the bridge are off limits you can't land or launch a drone from there. The only way to really do it would be from a boat, I suppose. If you're outside of the parks, um, the boundaries are so far away from the bridge that if you're flying outside of those, those boundaries, you start to wonder if you can still maintain line of sight with your drone. So if you were going to fly there, uh, probably launching from a boat would be the safest thing to do. The airspace around the bridge itself is not off limits, according to the FAA. So you're definitely allowed to fly there. It's just that they've... The, the city of San Francisco have made it impossible in the city parks 
as well as the national parks rule uh, don't allow you, of course, to uh, to land and launch your drone uh, from any uh, national park. So they've made it very hard to to launch a drone anywhere in the vicinity of the Golden Gate Bridge. In the article on Drone DJ, there's a link to the original post in the San Francisco Chronicle that kind of shows you that map with with the outline of where uh, the parks begin and end. So if you're interested in uh, in learning more, you can definitely check that out and have a look there. Wow. Yeah. Um, I love I love what you said about the airspace, because uh, just like NPS, I think we're all learning that there's a double standard on getting permits. So it's really fascinating that this is going on. But Haya, I just want to say how much I appreciate having you on the show, my friend, because there is so much going on. And I think we've really become good at really seeing the macro trends that are going on in the industry as a whole. Yeah, and I think um, like we like we started the show with that message from DJI. I mean, reaching a large community of of drone pilots, and there are so many different levels of being a drone pilot. I mean, you have the people that are very involved; they know all the rules. I mean, take Fake Moss, for instance. I mean, you probably don't have to tell him anything about the rules and flying drones. But then on the other side, you get people who pick up a DJI Mavic Mini from the store, uh, get it at Best Buy, and they might not know anything. And I think one of the things you and I try to do at least is to to reach uh, as large an audience as possible uh, with our drone news show. And of course, also with the articles that you and I write. Um, yeah, let's let's continue doing that and let's see uh, if we can reach an even larger audience. Yeah, seriously, I really hope that we can reach a larger audience because we we need it. We really do. We I mean, it is time. It is time. It is time. So also just want to say for everyone who's thinking about, uh, you know, learning more about remote ID, maybe they want to share a nuanced piece of information with a friend. Drone U now has all of the guides, uh, articles, the podcasts. They are all organized right now. If you go to thedroneu.com forward slash topics forward slash drone dash remote dash ID dash guide. You should pull it right up. I know some of you have difficulty with, you know, the entire uh, Bitly link system, and we'll be changing that here soon because I don't think a lot of people know that you've got to type in HTTPS in order for it to work. But you can also go to HTTPS colon slash slash bit dot L-Y forward slash D-U remote ID, and you can see everything uh, that's there right now. So make sure you check that out. Haya, again, thank you. Really, really thank you. My pleasure, Paul. And uh, looking forward to uh, finding out what mem- which members on the deck committee actually have the part 107. Let's do that for the next show. And also, of course, looking forward to the commenting uh, watch party that we're going to set up next week. Yeah, really excited about that. And also, yeah. hey, there's one last piece of news. I hear you're giving away some tickets to the drone you fly in, the only drone conference that's focused and based entirely around flight missions. Yeah, so if you if you feel like flying and you want to team up with a whole bunch of drone pilots and do something really, really cool on a Netflix film set and kind of learn new skills, uh, get some hands-on flying time as well, then uh, check out that article that's coming soon to Drone DJ. We're going to give away two tickets to the Drone You Fly-In. I'll be there. Of course, Paul's going to be there. It looks like it's going to be an amazing experience with a lot of action and a lot of fun and a lot on uh, hands-on flying time. So check out that article. We're going to give away two tickets. Uh, so you might be one of the lucky ones. And then we'll see you in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Sounds good. Hi, I'm looking forward to it, my friend. That's going to do it for us today. Just want to say, everyone out there, thank you so much 
for listening in. Thank you so much for subscribing. And thank you so much for just really supporting Haya and I. We both appreciate it. And uh, I can only speak for myself, but Haya, I know you appreciate it as well. Oh, for sure. We're, uh, I mean, without the audience, we're nothing, basically. So thank you guys so much for listening in and to watch this show and, of course, reading all the articles that we put out. It's uh, very much appreciated. And uh, I'm looking forward to meeting a whole bunch of you at the uh, Drone You Fly-In soon. It's going to be awesome, Haya. All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for listening in. Don't forget to leave us a review subscribe to the channel or if you're ready to just crush the competition and pilots then you're going to want to become a drone you member and look out for drone U's new program coming out this summer i have a feeling it's going to uh-huh. cause quite a controversial stir haya as we are going to revolutionize training as everyone knows it awesome well give me the chance to write about that before you tell the rest of the world how about that i <laughs> will do <laughs> will do haya well thank you again thank you paul And thank you for everyone for listening in to another new show on Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.